Well, welcome to week four of our special Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast season on Lent. Today, our episode is entitled Confession, Coming Home to God. And this week, I'm particularly grateful to the faithful souls who put together the Revised Common Lectionary, because the scriptures this week, as they are placed together, are so rich and layered. They are deeply challenging and ultimately very hopeful. So wow, let's listen to the psalm and the epistle and the gospel readings for week four, cycle C. The Lectionary Readings for the Fourth Sunday in Lent Psalm 32 Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. While I kept silence, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Therefore let all who are faithful offer prayer to you. At a time of distress, the rush of mighty waters shall not reach them. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from troubles. You surround me with glad cries of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding, whose temper must be curbed with bit and bridle, else it will not stay near you. Many are the torments of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 to 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. 
So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they begin to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Well, friends, I would love to sit down with each and every one of you and ask you how your Lenten season is going and particularly how your Lenten practices are going, um, how God is showing up for you in those practices, what you're learning about yourself, um, how you're responding to God, what His invitations are to you. Um, but I do encourage you uh, as we begin today to be just paying attention to how God is with you and how God's speaking to you within your Lenten practice. And if you're feeling a little bit discouraged, like you haven't held to your practice as much as you had hoped, don't be discouraged. Uh, there's still plenty of time left in Lent for you to continue to reclaim your Lenten practice and to move into those with faithfulness. So today, our topic is confession. Confession is the topic that is surfaced in our scriptures. And confession is good for the soul, as they say. I don't know who the they is, but confession is good for the soul. We know that to be true. And confession is good for those around us and also for the communities that we're a part of. And how wonderful that our faithful journeying with Jesus through the Lenten season brings us quite naturally to this important Christian practice. Last week, we talked about repentance, an inward attitude, a place of turning around and changing our mind, metanoia, if you will. So last week, the, the focus was a little bit more on an inner attitude of repentance and even the godly grief that leads us to repentance when we see things that are not quite right in our lives. But confession is the next natural thing, and confession is bringing this attitude of repentance out into our relationships with others. 
we start with God. And as the psalmist says, we confess to God first. Uh, But confession gives us something to do with this inner attitude of repentance. It gives us a way to practice it in relationship with others, both with those whom we have hurt or wronged and also within the larger communities that we're a part of. So the the scriptures today have us moving from the place of inner repentance and confession, confessing our sins to God, as the psalmist talks about, to moving to a, a place of confession with the person that we've hurt or offended within the community or the web of relationships that God has placed us in. So we see the prodigal son in the gospel reading confessing his sin out loud to his father. He has this moment of repentance when he is in the pigsty, realizing that his life choices have brought him to this place of uh, a very humbling place where he now does not have a place in anyone's family or in any community. He's now just slapping the pigs because he has no place else to go. So there's this moment of awareness and repentance, this turning around, his realizing, I need to do something different here. I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to turn around. Um And then that inner repentance, that inner awareness of how he has messed up his life now brings him to a place of coming back to his family and coming back to his father in particular and confessing to his father, I have sinned against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And what we see in the gospel reading is that we confess our sins to God first in this sort of interior way, but then we move out into relationship with others and we make our confessions in our relationships and we are healed enough to eventually experience forgiveness, um, healing of our relationships. We experience God's steadfast love to us in the midst of what we're seeing, and we are invited into new beginnings. And God entrusts us with this ministry of reconciliation, which is what we see in the epistle, that there we are out in the world having experienced our own healing and experienced our own forgiveness, reconciliation in our own intimate relationships, and then God gives us, God entrusts to us this ministry of reconciliation. And now, just as God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, God is now in us as his ambassadors, reconciling people and things to himself in and through our own lives. So I'm definitely getting out ahead of myself because I want to talk about confession a little bit more specifically, but this is where we're headed, and this is why the scriptures all taken together today are so powerful because there's actually movement in them, our inner repentance, then our confession within our relationships, and then finally being entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation in the world. But let's Let's stop for a moment and reflect more deeply on this uh, call to confession that we have in this uh, fourth week of Lent. First of all, can we just say that we live in a culture that is really bad at this? We live in a culture that's really bad at confession. And in fact, given the, the litigious nature of our culture these days, we're actually, most of us, very hesitant to make a confession of any kind. So you think about if you get into an accident, your insurance company actually doesn't want you to make any sort of confession or to, to take any admission of fault. You're supposed to just not even do that until your attorney <laughs> tells you what to do, right? Even if it was clearly your fault. You're not supposed to say anything. We live in a world where we rationalize routinely. We make it sound like it was somebody else's fault. Confession is just really hard culturally right now. And coupled with the fact that there's something in all of us that wants to hide and to blame and to rationalize our bad behaviors, then confession becomes a very, very challenging Uh, practice both culturally and given what's inside of ourselves. And this goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, all the way back to the garden where 
Adam and Eve have a really hard time confessing their sin, and Adam in particular uh, blames it on the woman, and then the woman blames it on the snake, and there's just all this blaming that's going on, rationalizing a bad behavior. And so we all have something to learn about confession, I think. I don't think it comes easily or naturally to any of us to do confession in a healthy way. So this week, I really want to talk about how we can practice confession. What is the process, the healthy and life-giving process of confession that we're being invited to engage in. So let me mention some movements in the confession process. First of all, there's just simply noticing. There's noticing something that went wrong um, in a relationship, in an instance, in a circumstance, in an experience that we've had. There's something that goes wrong, and we notice maybe there was something about me that contributed to that uh, to that hard thing that just happened. And if we have a practice of solitude and silence going in our lives, times when we're doing some sort of self-examination, then we actually open that up to God and we say, not only what did that other person do wrong, we don't just project our stuff onto the other person or onto the situation, but we say to God, hey God, is there anything within me that caused that situation to go south? Is there anything within me um, that caused that experience to be so hurtful and damaging? And um, we go beyond then just being able to name the bad behavior, which is the beginning. We need to name the bad behavior. So let's just take the subject of anger, if we will, um, and maybe a time when we just kind of let loose on somebody and shouldn't have. And we don't just stop with naming the behavior, but we actually ask God, what was going on inside me that caused me to uh, lash out in anger that way. And so in this place in the process, we might even need some help. We might even need to say, Lord, help me to find my confession. Help me to know what went wrong here and what was my part in that in that interaction. And so last week I shared that um, in my own Lenten practice this year, I have felt really led to look at some of my responses to my husband and how I can sometimes be kind of volatile there and um, can actually be undisciplined in my responses. And so not only do I name that to him and to God and to the people around me, perhaps, but then I'm willing to say to God, what's going on in my own life that causes me to feel free, uh, to, to you know be short with him or to be irritable with him or to even be angry with him at times? What's happening inside me? And what I realize in my willingness to be involved in the naming is that it's really not anything about him. It's not his fault at all. And it's not really about something that's going wrong between us. It's actually about my own pace of life and a lack of discipline in my way of life where I'm actually allowing myself to be less disciplined with him just because I've gotten tired and just because I've gotten overextended. And so I'm being undisciplined in my responses to him. And if I can create a little bit of space there, because I, I'm now owning this, I'm now saying this is about me, God has revealed that to me, um, and then I'm able to create some space where I can name that and actually confess it to God and actually allow it to change my behavior. So there's this inner repentance where I'm, I'm naming it, I'm turning away from that, I'm saying to God, I don't want to be that way anymore, and then I confess it. Um, not just the fact that I have been undisciplined, but what's happening in my own life that's caused me to give myself permission to behave that way. And then I ask for forgiveness. And friends, we need to be involved in asking forgiveness of those we have hurt. I think we as Protestants in particular, because we have no practices around confession, sometimes we look at Psalm 32, where the psalmist confesses to God first, and we also might look at Psalm 51 in that same way, and we say, oh, it's enough for me to confess to God. No, friends. 
friends, it's not just enough to confess to God. We simply must confess to the people that we've hurt. So in the story of the prodigal son, um, his willingness to walk the path back to home and to say to his father, I have sinned against you, that is the pivot point in the story. If that young man had not been willing to confess to the person, then the rest of the story would not have happened. So we ask for forgiveness, and hopefully we receive forgiveness, and we, we definitely receive forgiveness from God. Psalm 32 assures us that when we confess our sins to God, God is steadfast in God's love towards us and forgives us. The New Testament scriptures are clear that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And sometimes we're able to receive the forgiveness from the person that we've wronged if, if they're in a place where they can offer that to us. And maybe, or maybe depending on how bad the offense has been, it might take a while for them to be able to forgive us. And because we're appropriately humbled, we don't force them and we're willing to wait and to let God do God's good work in them. But we have received God's forgiveness. And then there's one final part of a true confession process, and that is the willingness to make restitution. And there's an important question that we ask here when we are actually asking, confessing and asking forgiveness from someone else. We say, is there anything I can do to make it right? Isn't that a powerful question? Is there anything I can do to make it right? And we so often fail to take this very last step in a healthy and complete process of confession. So what I want to say to us all here is to say that if we stop short of the noticing and then the naming, not just the behavior itself, but the patterns underneath that drive that behavior, um, that repentance that leads us to godly grief, actually making a confession to God, but also to the person that we've harmed, um, and then to make restitution, to ask, well, is there anything I can do to make it right? If we stop short of working this whole process, then we haven't really completed the process of confession and forgiveness and then moving to wholeness. So it's interesting this week for me to notice that confession is the deepest heart of the spiritual life, I think, um, and most challenging. And I'm grateful that the Lenten season brings me face-to-face again with the importance of the practice of confession. As I've mentioned, our teacher, Dr. Bob Mulholland, He talks about the fact that the process of being conformed to the image of Christ takes place primarily at the points of our unlikeness to Christ's image. And that is why confession is so important. Confession is where it's at, spiritually speaking. Confessing where I have fallen short of the image of Christ within me um, is, is the heart of the spiritual life. Confession is a discipline that can enable us to offer up to God a means of grace. Uh, And I just love sort of the Wesleyan flavor of that statement, that confession is a spiritual practice that is a means of grace. It's a way of opening to the good work that God wants to do in us and the good gifts he wants to give us. And the gifts God wants to give us through confession are many. Just look at all the hope offered in our scriptures today, starting with the psalmist who had sinned really badly, uh, the kind of sin that in our day would allow us to maybe even disqualify a person. But the psalmist talks about happiness. Happy are those whose sins are forgiven. 
Uh, there's forgiveness to be received. When I confessed my sin to you, you forgave me. Um, then he references God's guidance for moving forward in a brand new way, that, that God is going to instruct us um, and guide us in a new way. The psalmist affirms an experience of God's steadfast and unconditional love in the midst of asking forgiveness, in the midst of an awareness of sin, and in the midst of seeking forgiveness, he experiences God's steadfast and unconditional love towards him. And then the psalm just ends with outright joy and rejoicing because uh, he has experienced God's forgiveness through confession. In the story of the prodigal son, which is so very layered, and honestly, we are all three of the characters in in the, the prodigal son story at different times or another. Sometimes we're the father that's waiting uh, for a person to come back uh, open to a restored relationship. Sometimes we are the older brother who feels like we've done anything right, everything right, and we're resentful of the person who has sinned and needs forgiveness. Or we are the prodigal who is coming to repentance and is walking the road of confession and comes back and needs to make real confession. But the point of that story is that the prodigal son's willingness to confess so fully and openly and vulnerably and humbly to the person that he had wronged was the pivot point in the whole story. So the grace that opens to him in that story is restored relationship, a generosity of spirit, actual celebration, a gorgeous, generous celebration, and also a restoration of a place in the community that he had left. All of these things are gifts of grace that confession opens up for him. Confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. So confession is good for the soul. And then we see that it's good for the community. And it's good for our relationships when we can confess. And then finally, confession and restoration prepares us to be means of grace in the world. I love the way our scriptures today come back fully, full circle, fully orbed to a place where now we are out in the world as new creations. We are renewed and made new because of our own process of confession and restoration and forgiveness. And that is now what we take into the world. We are not taking our angry, bitter, stuck selves back into the world, but we are taking our forgiven, hopeful, free selves that can now make an appeal for reconciliation with God and with others on the basis of what we ourselves have experienced. We can say in and through our own lives, reconciliation is possible. It happens through confession and through forgiveness. And that is good news indeed. So there is this incredible um, outward motion from inner repentance to um, confession in our relationship with God, to outer confession in our relationships and in our community, that leads to healing, and that leads us to the ministry of reconciliation. And so I'd like to close today with a strong word to us as leaders, if you will allow me, and I guess you will because you're listening. Um, I want to give us as leaders the confession challenge. I want to say, wouldn't it be powerful as if we as leaders ask God to help us find our confession? Where are the places in our own lives where we have not yet confessed our sins to one another? Where are the relationships that we need to actually seek out and um, seek to rest, restore out of our own willingness to confess our own sins and then do that work? Make our confession sit there and wait uh, to see if the person can actually give us the gift of forgiveness in that moment, and if they can't, give them grace. And then to say, is there anything that I or we can do to make it right? Wow, let that be the basis of your ministry in this world today, dear friends of mine who are leaders in this world. Make the practice of confession and make the work of reconciliation the basis and the foundation of your leadership this week. Let's do it together, friends. Uh, let's enter in as God invites us to.
So I'd like to close today with, I think, a gorgeous prayer that I return to every single Lenten season that I think helps me to open to God and the work God wants to do in my life during Lent. And I want to invite you to settle into this prayer and maybe to join me in this prayer and in the quiet musical interlude that follows to give space for God to do this work of grace in our lives. And it's about asking God to help us to find our confession. God, help us find our confession, the truth within us which is hidden from our mind, the beauty or the ugliness we see elsewhere, but never in ourselves, the stowaway which has been smuggled into the dark side of the heart, which puts the heart off balance and causes it pain, which wearies and confuses us, which tips us in false directions and inclines us to destruction the load which is not carried squarely because it is carried in ignorance. God, help us to find our confession. Help us to cross the boundary of our understanding. Lead us into the darkness that we may find what lies concealed, that we may confess it towards the light, that we may carry our truth in the center of our heart, that we may carry our cross wisely and bring harmony into our life and our world. Amen. Thank you so much for your support of the Transforming Center and this podcast. If you have enjoyed the podcast, please rate and review the podcast in iTunes or wherever you listen. 